Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and video show which brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. If you're new to the channel, please subscribe so you won't miss a new episode. I'm your host, Fritz Bussemaker, and today I'm delighted and privileged to have a conversation with Charles Haiti. Charles, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Allow me to introduce Charles. Uh, he works and lives in Accra, Ghana. So bear with us because the internet connection uh, is not always um, uh, working correctly. So let's hope that it will uh, stay stable. He's educated as a journalist and has been working as a business journalist his whole professional life. And he hosts the most watched business program, The Marketplace. And he currently also works as a journalist covering impactful business stories, has a passion for youth enterprise development, uh, and has, re- has already received a couple of honors as a journalist. And Charles is also a poet, which we'll cover in this program. So again, Charles, welcome you to the program. Thank you very much for having me, Fritz. Now, Charles, we met through uh, Voices for Peace, when actually the rules were reversed. You interviewed me, uh, which we'll cover later in that interview. Uh, Could you please tell us a little bit about what Voices for Peace is and your role as a journalist there? Well, so basically Voice for Peace is much more of an advocacy group that base its advocacy on data. And currently what you're doing in Ghana and across the African continent is helping us understand how data is instrumental to our democracy. And so, for example, we just had our elections, you know, that was in 2020. And out of this election, there are, so, there are so many issues that came out of the election. First of all, the kind of confidence that voted, vo- voters had in the election results, which of course we did see bouts of violence here and there, and how data could have solved this situation. And so when I was approached by Voices for Peace about the need for them to get their message out there as a journalist and a broadcaster, I was so enthused to bring them on board where I created synergies between themselves and the business community here in Ghana, as well as my audience in Accra and around the world to get to appreciate the import of their messaging and how best this could help us, not just in elections, but in each and every angle of our economic makeup, because data is everything first. Data is what could inform development partners to say we're investing angle and we're not investing in that angle. So Voices for Peace is indeed an instrument for change and a pivot for development. And I'm absolutely honored to be a part of it through what I do as a journalist and the platform I'm offering them to share the information. Okay. Now, as a journalist, you often are required to remain impartial. Neutral. So how do you compare um, being a a journalist also when you uh, present uh, the most uh, uh, well-watched business program with this role, which is a little bit more uh, activist? Well, one, one thing that guards my conscience as a journalist within what I do is that I'll have to be factual and not partial. 
you know, uh, factual and neutral. Partiality does not matter. So if my facts and my neutrality shifts me to a particular point of, you know, argument for whichever party, so long as it's factual and neutral, I have no qualms about that. So, because when you're partial, you know, when you're partial, it means that you have leanings to a particular, you know, form of argument or a group of people. But when you're neutral as a journalist, it means you're going with the facts, you're going with the situation on the ground, you are really speaking to both sides of the coin and you're getting the balance when it comes to the messaging that you're churning out for your audience. So indeed, as a business journalist, you know, I deal so much with the business community. I deal so much with development agencies, diplomatic, you know, uh, communities and whatnot. Oftentimes, the story might not go in their favor. Oftentimes, they may feel very much threatened by whichever news angle, but it is my facts, the facts I present to them and the neutrality of these facts that help them understand the fact that we're wrong and this is what the news says. So we have to deal with it and we have to work our way out. You know, so this this has been my guiding conscience as a journalist and this continues to be a pivot of my career as well. Not just for me, but other colleagues of mine in Ghana and across the continent because partiality is subjective. But when it comes to being neutral and, you know, having to go facts, there are no compromises along, along with that. Great answer. Now, I fully understand where you're coming from and also the link to Voices for Peace, which talks about data. So I got that. Uh, now I also know that because I follow you on LinkedIn, uh, that you spend a lot of time promoting the young entrepreneurs around Ghana and Africa as a whole. And there's some amazing people and stories to share there. Uh, so who do you see as your audience when you uh, share those stories? I consider three groups of people as my audience. First of all, the, those in the diaspora, Africans in the diaspora. I consider prospective investors as my audience. And I also consider young African entrepreneurs as my audience. So these are the kind of three people that I reach out to in my, on my LinkedIn page. See, we have so many entrepreneurs in Africa, in Ghana, doing amazing stuff. Unfortunately, they do not have the platform, the needed international platform to bring them on that level where they could interconnect with prospective clients, prospective investors, and even the diaspora, you know, colleague entrepreneurs in the diaspora from their home country who could help them. So I thought to myself that why don't I use my LinkedIn profile Mm -hmm. as that channel for change development for African entrepreneurs. And the success stories I'm so proud of. So recently there was this one I did about a gentleman who was using waste for bricks in Ghana. And this particular link did so well to the extent that as we speak, we've had some international uh, company call him up through me, call him up for an interview for prospective investment flow. So they're going to be funding his project. You know, how amazing is that? So these are many other interventions on my LinkedIn page. Do I consider heartwarming, you know, with, with the kind of stuff I'm doing, and the kind of, you know, content that I'm churning out there. It's not just for my platform, it's for, you know, entrepreneurs in Kenya, in Nigeria, in Uganda, in Egypt, 
bringing them all together and showcasing what they're doing to attract the needed investment and funding they need to expand. It matters so much to me. Oh, that, that's such a good way to uh, support indeed those entrepreneurs. So uh, I get where, you, uh, where you're coming from. Um, so how do you de- define then your, your own success in this uh, context, in this situation? Well, I define my success. Um, in fact, I link my success with their success. So with whatever thing that I do as a journalist, I'm very much eager to know what the result will be. And one thing I have been using is the STAR approach. So what happens is that I identify the situation, the fact that most entrepreneurs do not really have the platform. And even if they do, maximizing the platform then i put myself to the task of having to help them out so what do i do not just on linkedin but i invite most of them to my programs on the marketplace where they could have a much larger audience and when i get that particular you know uh task done of course the action must follow so we have you know off the camera engagement with prospective clients development partners on how best they could help through you know, forums, workshops, Zoom interviews, where they could in- in- interface with most of these people off the camera, off LinkedIn. And the results, amazing. We keep getting amazing results of where these guys are being given to expand and they are you know, given particular information on how to remain competitive in their own field. So it's rewarding. For me, it is this particular results that I get that measures my success as a journalist. Okay. When you measure it, uh, this is, uh, I would say, a, a qualitative uh, aspect. Uh, can you put some numbers on it? How big of an audience can you uh, reach out to now? Well, so currently the marketplace on Joinies, which is a channel in Ghana, uh, that's uh, the multi-TV Joinies, reaches close to 1.2 million audience, not just in Ghana, we're talking of, you know, the sub region and abroad. Remember that it's not a traditional television station. We're also on social media. The programs I host are live on, you know, Twitter, Facebook, and on YouTube. So if you combine all the audience there, together with our reach in Africa, we, we look at close to 1.2 million views, uh, you know, all audience share in a day. Just a day, that's, so that's in a month. Yes, good numbers. Now, this is where you use your role as a journalist to promote entrepreneurship, show what's actually possible. I also see that you use your role as a journalist to uh, stop and ban things. You actually got re- uh, an award for writing an article on the ban of uh, sale of skin bleaching products. Indeed, could Indeed. you? Please- uh, take the audience along. Why did you want to write that piece? Well, so skin skin bleaching is a canker of a sort in African countries, not just Ghana. And based on our and the indoctrination, the indoctrination, you know, of foreign movement, we are having so many young people, uh, ladies, men, wanting to look white you know, just because of the screens and how the, uh, the stars or mentors on television look. And so it has got so bad to the extent that our uh, Food and Drugs Authority has even raised concerns about the impact 
on, you know, the health of these people. We have the high cases of skin cancer in Ghana, and of course that's of Nigeria and some of Africa. And so all these challenges informed my decision to write an extensive article featuring Ghana's leading local boxer who is called Bukumbanku, who recently opened to bleach his skin. And you know, with a large following that he has, you could imagine the impact his decision took on his followers and his supporters across the, 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 the beachfronts in Accra, Ghana. And so when I wrote that particular article, it attracted the concern of the BBC World Mesa. They were very much interested in getting to know what exactly is informing people to bleach their skin and how detrimental is this, not just to their health, but to the entire economy of Ghana. Because as we speak now, the import of bleached skin products in Ghana, you know, hit close to a million, a million CDs just in 2019. We do not know the details because as we speak, because of COVID-19 and its disruption global change. But before COVID hits, the amount of money that entered into the imports of skin bleaching cosmetic materials were amazingly close to a million Ghana cities. And so, yes, this article really informed what was going on and also warned about the implications in the future of which put the attention of the BBC World News Service and continues to attract so many awards each and every time. Well, congr congratulations there with getting that uh, award and that recognition. Uh, at the end of the day, you probably wrote that article, not for the reward, but actually to change it. And have you seen a change taking place? Do people react? Indeed, currently there is regulation from the Food and Drugs Authority Currently, all cosmetic products which, you know, contain the cancer-causing elements, you know, that often is being used as bleach from Ghana. So you, you cannot really import such items in, into the country. We're witnessing a high-level surveillance at our ports and our land borders as well, because most of these products have been smuggled, you know, from uh, land borders, you know, from neighboring countries, Nigeria, Ivory Coast, that of Togo. So the surveillance has increased, it's beefed up, and public awareness has also increased alongside, not just on my network, but across various networks through the efforts of the Food and Drugs Authority. So indeed, we I can I can I can measure some success that you know have happened since. We've even had the arrest of Bukum Banku because of what he was doing, bleaching his skin and propagating the need to bleach their skins. And he's also thankfully engaged, been engaged in some reorienting by the Food and Drugs Authority, where he recently had a new campaign going on against skin bleaching. So indeed, the efforts have been very much amazing and the results outstanding. If you measure what you know is happening now as compared to what was happening then. Okay. Now, was uh, how did you select this topic or this this or did somebody put you on this topic uh why did you pick it up why did you write about this well so this was when i was with face-to-face -face africa one of the most uh read uh, you know uh, african you know magazines on the continent and what happens is that we would always have to tell stories about africa to change the narrative but I thought to myself that aside telling stories that you know make people smile 
It's also important for us to expose the wrongs within our continent that really is killing people. So having to measure the impact of skin bleaching and especially how damaging it was and how it was being propagated by a large, you know, an influence of a boxer who had a large following, I thought to myself, now was the time for me to have this article done. And I feel myself for various interviews to explain and also detail the extent to which this activity and this cross-border trade and this huge cosmetic market was having a toll on the lives and livelihoods of people in my country. Okay, because I know that you strongly believe in personal accountability and holding business community accountable. Um, and this is an example. Uh, and uh, is your approach uh, writing about it? Are there other things you do to make and hold people and organizations accountable? Indeed. And that's, that's what encapsulates my duty as a journalist, having to hold the business community indeed accountable. I could talk about a situation where in 2019, you know, I had to reveal the extent to which a steel manufacturing company, you know, within the free zones board of my country, uh, Ghana, was polluting the environment. I detailed in an investigative piece the extent to which workers within the steel manufacturing company were losing their lives and just couldn't complain because yes, their bosses, you know, were the ones that were taking care of their family, you know, they, they, they were losing their job. So they kept this themselves. But out of this investigative piece that I did, out of the revelation that I made regarding the impact, not just on the lives of the workers, but lives of the residents around most of these steel manufacturing companies, we had our Ministry for Science and Technology step in. We had authorities, you know, close to being arrested because it was much more headed towards a criminal activity. Air pollution of any sort is criminal, especially when we're having cases here in Ghana where climate change is much more of a challenge. And so for governments to understand the impact that most of these, the emissions that most of these manufacturing companies were, you know, releasing into the environment that was beyond the limit that our environmental protection agency has spelled out, they had to act. And indeed they did act and we continue to see some improvement along those lines. So this is just one aspect of accountability that I have, you know, been able to churn in my news, you know, outlet. And most of them are often interview based. And some of them are based on investigative features and pieces that I put together. Out of this particular piece that I did regarding the steel manufacturing company polluting the environment, we had the Ministry of Science and Technology, that's a ministry that takes care of our environment, basically, step in with the police, the Ghana Police Service, to shut down the steel manufacturing company, to put to account you know, the various uh, officials within these companies to explain what exactly was going on. And we had most of these workers compensated as well because their health was in dire need, you know, for medical assistance. So, I mean, this particular aspect that I am telling you about is just a piece of the various stories and, you know, in-studio interventions, interviews, and news articles that I often do to put businesses on their feet. At that. Now, uh, a number of times in this program, I'll move to a um, slightly different topic now. 
uh, we ask people what are the milestones or the career highlights uh, so far. And what I found quite amazing when you shared with me your profile, uh, except one, you identified that all your career highlights were last year, in the year uh, 2021. Um, so last year was actually a breakthrough year for you. What happened uh, that you had so many milestones there? COVID, COVID, COVID. You know, last year, we had the impact of COVID-19 around the world. And out of this impact, there was an opportunity as well for me as a journalist to tell the stories of those who were suffering. And at the forefront of COVID-19 was entrepreneurs. So a major challenge that I was able to, you know, um, discover was that out of COVID-19, supply chains had been disrupted Businesses could not import to the various countries. And it was so much fulfillment when it comes to, you know, importing, exporting, not just around the world, but specifically in Ghana, the rest of Africa. And so I thought to myself the need to bring on board business associations, those that really matter when it comes to pulling the strength of, you know, doing business in Ghana. And out of this, we held you know, massive workshops, massive, you know, national policy dialogues on how best to, you know, uh, you know, grant stimulus to the entrepreneurial, you know, industry in my country. So if you could go through the highlights, you realize that I moderated most of these programs. I told most of these stories. And out of that, thankfully, I was even, you know, uh, selected to join, you know, a, a few journalists around the continent to, you know, Montpellier, France, yeah. where there was an international awakening, reawakening for entrepreneurship in Africa and around the world amid COVID-19. So it, it was indeed a highlight for my career, especially when it helped me appreciate the impact of COVID yeah. on entrepreneurship. You know, when we're talking about entrepreneurs, they are, you know, the, the, the backbone to the African economy. We're talking of 80% of SMEs, you know, SMEs employing 80% of the population, not just in Ghana, but the rest of Africa. So whenever the informal sector making up the SMEs and entrepreneurs is hit by any tragedy, we have economies in Ghana and the rest of Africa, you know, have to, have to, have to face a challenge. So indeed, in, in, we, we cannot joke with entrepreneurs and they continue to remain, you know, a fulcrum to my journalistic journey. Okay, so COVID has brought you that recognition, which is good, but also highlighted uh, how uh, important entrepreneurs are and the impact of COVID. So well done for, for you to, to share those stories. Now, so far, we've talked about your brand as being a journalist, um, um, but there's also something else which I shared in my introduction. You also write poems. <laughs> Indeed. And... Uh, I get the impression you do not only write those poems for yourself because you post them online. Yes. And um, could you tell a little me? Okay, I'll, I'll share with you the three titles which tri triggered me. Uh, yes. and I also see a common element. Addiction, I want to be free. Yes. Tomorrow fades away. Yes. When Christmas shines, the pain of my time. Now, yes. 
intriguing titles, but I also see like a, a dark side in all those titles. Yes, yes. Why is that? You what know, do you want to do with your poetry? Yes. You know, poetry is an intimate way of having a conversation with your inner self and uh, the untold, also revealing the untold nature of a society. That's what poetry is all about. And for me as a journalist, I see poetry as that that shelf, you know, that I, 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 I crawl into to reflect over my life and as well to really understand things happening around me. I use poetry to do that a lot. So if you go through most of the that I posted online, you know, they, they may be dark, but I do not see them as dark enough. I see them as you know, much more revealing of the environments that not just me finding myself in, but so many young adults, you know, in my generation find themselves in. You talk of addiction. You know, currently we're having so much addiction when it comes to the internet. We're having so much addiction when it comes to self-love. We're having so much addiction when it comes to being a narcissist because of the way our environment has, you know, shaped us to be. I could stay indoors for years without having to knock on the door of a neighbor to say, how, how, how are you doing? And all these things are ingrained in some subtle, you know, addiction to a specific idea, a character, or a big belief system that I thought I could share in this particular poem. I must add though that this poem was written when I was just 19 years of age. So that was close to about over 10 years ago, I'll be turning 30 soon. So it really spoke to the challenges that I faced as a teenager, having to grow up in a world where, you know, I've been addicted to, you know, uh, the internet of things, you know, it, it's created this sense of individualism, you know, not having to open up society, but close yourself up and just enjoy things around you. Yes. Okay, well, it's it's quite an impressive poem for somebody who's 18, so uh, well done there. And when you write your poetry, when you uh, work as a journalist, uh, where do you draw your inspiration from? I draw my inspiration from the fact that it's a calling, you know? That's where I draw my inspiration. I, 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 I have always wanted to do this. And having to get the opportunity to do it is for me a blessing. And the best way by which I could reward that blessing is to give up my best. And so as a journalist, I am really, you know, feeding into this blessing called an opportunity to serve my community. And I do that all the time. I never get tired. So <laughs> indeed it's a calling for me. And an inspiration in that particular sense. I do not see journalism as a cash cow to become rich overnight or rich in, in, in a span of time. I see that as a, a, an experience that could expose me as a platform for people who do not have the voice and just to see them thrive, you know, from the platform I offer them is rewarding enough. You know, there is nothing more I could ask for. I got that. So we've covered your, yourself as a journalist, uh, an activist, uh, as a poet. How do you want the world to, re, uh, you, to remember you? 
I want the role to remember as the journalists who really, really put entrepreneurs on the stage. I know the fact that we have international brands doing some things regarding entrepreneurships, and I, I acknowledge the fact that they're doing massively well. But the issue is that this is a platform that I'm offering those without voices, those who do not have the capacity to get on CNN, to get on Al Jazeera, doing massively well in changing the narratives in their respective communities. I wake up each and every day to hundreds of you know, messages on LinkedIn and even my, you know, my, my, my Gmail account begging me to tell these stories. And you know, though overwhelmed, you know, I remain. I'm also absolutely confident in the fact that, yes, they, they find confidence in what I'm doing. And so I need to give back that confidence by featuring them on the platforms. So I really want the world to really remember me for this. And I believe they will because of the results we continue to see, not just on LinkedIn, but on platforms that I represent. Okay, now Charles, you're still here, uh, and I know that all these uh, young managers are con uh, connecting you, as you just mentioned. Uh, is there any, I'd say, generic advice you can give, uh, give that young generation of startups and as of entrepreneurs uh, so they can improve themselves? Well, two things: they need to be fluent the uh, the products that they that they, they produce for this IT and the, the rest of the world. And they need to be aggressively innovative amid COVID-19. Fluent in the sense that, you know, we're witnessing a wave of, you know, um, the same kind of products each and every time. People are really not bringing up products that speak to a niche market. People are doing things that everyone is doing. And for me, that's what restricts us as entrepreneurs in Africa when the competition is so keen. So for us to pull through and to reach the global scale, it's important for us to be fluid. We need to change for the times and not be so much boxed into our ideals and our ideas as entrepreneurs. We need to be aggressively innovative. Innovation comes in a second. You cannot do the same thing doing all the time. You need to be innovative to understand that these are times that need innovation. So if hitherto I was producing shoes, and be innovative enough to make sure that the shoes I produce help a market that I'm targeted. So you don't just produce shoes, but also making advocacy for people who do not have access to shoes. You're telling stories for the need for those people to provide them with shoes. You are expanding your industrial base to also cover the need for people underprivileged societies that you are providing to. So it's an all circle you know, solution that you're providing, not necessarily sticking to one angle of a product that you're selling. That for me is what can take African entrepreneurs from where they are now to that international level that they deem to be in the next few years. Charles, that's great advice. And I really hope that uh, the people watching this program or listening to the podcast will take it to heart. So Charles, I want to thank you so much for, for spending some time with the brand called you, uh, talking about your work as being one of the top uh, business journalists in Ghana, uh, and also using your voice to help entrepreneurs improve themselves. So again, thank you so much. Fred, it's a pleasure having me. Thank you for listening to the brand called you videocast and podcast. 
platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called Youth.